I have a question. As I have been reading this book and and honestly rediscovering it uh, on a on a deeper level, I thought I wonder if I'm the only one. Yeah, you because know, sometimes you really are the only one. You know? I mean, can we be a little candid? Just a little. Just a little. I'm not too much. I mean, when was the last time you studied, looked at? penetrated the book of Philemon. I mean, honestly, it's just not seen as one of those great epistles. I mean, it's not Romans. It's not Galatians. It's Philemon. We just kind of skip over that book so so often. Uh, maybe because it's just one little page in our Bible. Maybe because we're not sure what the book's about. But in the context that we have tried to place it, I hope and pray that we have given you a good framework of this very small epistle. And the tremendous message that Paul is trying desperately to teach to us as he writes to this man Philemon about his... um, Slave Onesimus. So, with that said, um, we're going to begin by just remembering that uh, this letter deals with a very serious social issue in the Roman Empire, which was slavery. That we have two very main characters here, Philemon, the owner, Onesimus, the slave, who... Its name means useful, but had proven himself to be useless. We said the book has a theme, and it's not hard to see that theme. Forgiveness. Grace. The dispensing of grace. And uh, we said that the book, the small, very small letter of Paul, can be divided into three very simple uh, areas. The character of one who forgives. What is the character of one who forgives? The action of one who forgives. And the motive of one who forgives. Um, we, we, we began by meeting our uh, two, two sets, two dynamic duos here. Grace and peace. And uh, we said that uh, true peace is only as a result of grace that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. We said that without grace, we really do not understand or can even begin to comprehend true uh, peace. And then we said the other duo was love and faith. We said that faith was doctrine. And, um, and we said that our doctrine should produce love for the brethren and for the non-brethren also. We should be characterized by love. Uh, No matter where we are, no matter whether it's in a church context or simply with a friend, a neighbor outside, we are to be characterized by love. We said our common faith or fellowship should be productive. All of that, and we concluded, there's not more Bible studies that we need. I know that sounds rather heretical from a pastor even. We just need to practice the few that we know. Uh, Not more 
intellectual cramming, but uh, more Christian-like character changing. And um, we said, uh, oh, that we would be Philemon's. Because what we saw in those first nine verses was that the character of Philemon was one of grace, one of maturity, one of love, one of safeness as a person, and one of practical doctrine. We said that uh, in order for us to be treated by our superiors the way we would like to, by our authorities, such as Paul when he was writing to Philemon, then we ought to first be Philemons in our way of uh, being, of living. Alright, well with that, let us begin to plow through uh, verse 10. And uh, we do want to finish tonight, because Advent is here and we need to concentrate on our Christmas season. And um, so we, we will get through here tonight. Let's pray. Father, guide us. Open our hearts and our eyes, our minds, that we may see that which you have prepared for us in your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Verses 10 through 13, the very useless um, Onesimus will become useful once again. Uh, was useless in that he obviously must not have had a good relationship with his owner, must not have been a good worker, was obviously very rebellious in his uh, inward self, felt it was totally unjust, however it was that he was being treated. After all, being a slave must not be necessarily a walk in the park. Nonetheless, that was his calling, and he did not like it, and off he went. Useless, Paul says, but now has become useful. Victor Hugo, uh, the, the, the music novelist writer, who uh, put together the well-known Les Miserables, um, in, in, that, in that musical, there is a main character, and his name is Jean uh, Valjean. And, and he, um, he's, he grew up uh, in a real bad situation, and he's not, he's not a good guy, and uh, socially just isn't quite fit, and rather, rather, rather a, a mean-spirited sort of fellow. And he ends up in the home of a bishop, uh, bishop um, uh, Muriel. And um, one night, he steals the silver and runs out of the bishop's house, palace, uh, only to be caught and um, taken to the uh, police station thing, and they call the bishop, and the bishop shows up with two um, uh, uh, silver candles, holders, sticks, and uh, the first thing he says to, to, uh, to uh, Valjean is, you forgot these! I wanted you to take these. These are more valuable even. Uh, and uh, you, 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 you left these behind. And in no way implicated him with having stolen the silver. And uh, the police chief knew. But he also knew the bishop. And um, not only did the bishop forgive him 
for having stolen his silver, but he gave him more silver and told him to keep all the silver. And in a moment of, uh, of intimacy, when the police are not paying attention, uh, 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 the bishop, Bishop um, Muriel, says to him, Go out and make a better life for yourself. Be a better man. That has to touch us, doesn't it? Because you know good and well you'd have hung him if you had a chance. You'd have skinned him alive. But he granted him grace. Did he deserve it? No. Did he steal the silver? Yes. But even a useless fella can become useful. That is what Onesimus has become. Because he has come into contact with the Apostle Paul somehow, and in that context, he has surrendered himself to Christ. He is no longer running away from, but now running toward the Savior. His character has changed. We are going to look at how Paul describes Onesimus, and, um, and we see that there's a new man, a new creature has evolved. Now he is useful. Folks, in Christianity, we tend to mark pedigree. I don't know if you're aware of that, but there is a certain pedigree in Christianity. It does start somewhat in the denominational groups. And even in a local assembly, there always seems to be those who consider themselves to be just a wee bit above the rest. Be it because they've been Christians longer, be it because they've had more education, maybe because they have more financial stability. For whatever the reason, there always seems to be those who think there is a Christian pedigree. Uh, a picking, pecking order, per se. May I please read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers, sisters, please think through this as I read. I'd rather you listen than to look for it. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. You know what Scripture says, folks? Bankrupt. Spiritually, we all were bankrupt. We were all useless. And the true fact of it is, is it grinds against our soul to accept that and to admit that. Because we want to think better of ourselves. 
Yet Scripture says, God didn't choose the wise and the fame and the well and the, and the pedigree, but the low, the abase, that no one may boast. And it is so easy to read this little letter and to look at Philemon's character, which is such a godly character, and look at Onesimus and think, hmm, hmm, well, hope he straightens out, gets its act right, learns what a true Christian is supposed to do and be. Folks, that attitude, may I, wish I could turn off the recorder, stinks. We, we need to remember who we were to better appreciate the folks about us. Remember who we have been. And if you had the great privilege of having grown up in a Christian home and you did not, you know, roam the streets like others have, may I say to you, you were still bankrupt spiritually. I'll just say this. When I was just saved, and off I went to uh, Bible college, the president of our school, very eloquent speaker, of course, presidents of schools usually are, and... um, had come from a long line of Christian uh, ministers and so on. I remember one day as he was sharing his heart, preaching, and he began to speak of how God had saved him and how wretched he was and how horrible of a person he was. And I was thinking, who's he talking about? I knew what wretchedness was. And I knew what he had been like because he told us. He grew up in a Christian home. He was the son of a pastor. And his grandfather was a pastor. And uh, very young in his age, he, he was part of, you know, Campus Crusade or whatever. And uh, he went off to the military. And he was involved in the, in the servicemen's this. And, and I'm thinking, what is he talking about when he's talking about the wretched sinner that he was? And I think, he's bad. He doesn't know what it means to be bad. He wants to know what it means to be bad. I should give him a lesson. Do you know what? He was right. You see, he understood his spiritual condition. Not his outward social standing. It was his spiritual condition before Christ. When? I think he was just a young lad when he accepted Jesus as his Savior. Yet he understood up to that point, even as a child, he was bankrupt before God. Onesimus, my son, (laughs) Paul calls him. Onesimus, my son, now is useful. You see, when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, we become a new creation. And there is no difference between a newly converted person and one that has been saved for 50 odd years. Same spirit. Same power. Same salvation. The difference is 
the knowledge. The difference is the experience of living, yes. But before God there is no difference because they both have received the same Savior. Useful. Verse 12, we learn that he says, And I have sent him back to you in person. That is, sending my very heart. (laughs) Did you hear what he's saying? This is Paul speaking about Onesimus, the runaway slave. I am sending you my very heart. What a relationship he must have developed with him. He gives him value. My very heart. He's not just Onesimus the slave, runaway, now going back. He is Onesimus, child of God, converted, Christian, now walking with God. Now, because I have put time into him, he is my very heart. He values him. And then, to make things even worse, look at verse 13. Whom I wish to keep with me, that in your behalf, now catch the word, the concept, that in your behalf, that in your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Do you know what he said? He's just as equal to you, Philemon. He could do the job just as well as you would. He's saying to Philemon, Philemon, I keep him because I know he could do the job that you would do if you were here. Folks, think about this for a second. He is comparing the master-owner to the slave, and he is saying they are both equally capable of taking care of me, of ministering to me. He is making equality in these two men. Where is the pedigree in Christ? Bear in mind the time, first century, bear in mind the culture, Hellenistic, Romanish culture. Bear in mind the setting. Colossi. Let's go into the second part, verse 14 through 18. The appeal for grace. Here's the appeal. Verse 14 through 18, he says, But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, that your goodness should not be as it were by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason parted for you for a while that you should have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Verse 17. If then... You regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owed you anything, charge that to my account. As I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, try to picture Philemon reading this letter. Who delivered it? Onesimus. And as he's reading this letter... Who is standing next to him? Onesimus. Remember? The runaway slave who should either be branded in the face as a runaway or even killed. And no pasa nada because he's the owner 
and the other one's just a slave. There's a lesson to be taught to the other slaves in the city. His own slaves, the slaves of other owners. What are the other owners going to do and say when they find out that he's back? They're going to all want to know, what am I going to do? And here she's reading this letter. And Paul is saying, pardon him. But in doing that, verse 14, he says, dispense grace. He is to do it on a voluntary basis. On a voluntary basis. He says, I'm not doing it without your consent. That your, that your goodness should not be as if it were by compulsion, but of your own free will. Verse 15, verse 16. Paul then appeals at what could be the possible plan of God. Verse, 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 uh, verse 15, he says, For perhaps he was for this reason parted from you for a while that you should have him back forever. Maybe this was the will of God, that he run away. Oh yeah? Do you know how bad he made me look? How bad he made my wife look? Do you know what happened when he ran away and all the other slaves, what I had to deal with? What do you mean the will of God? I thought the will of God is always pretty, wonderful, fluffy, comfortable. Folks, whatever happened to Philemon, it was no fun when Onesimus left. Yet Paul says, maybe this was the will of God, that you lose him for a season so that you would receive him back forever. The possible plan of God. This is not a lucky thing that he is back. He is meant to be a brother not a slave. That was the plan of God. A brother, not a slave. Sometimes God has to take us away from our surroundings to get our attention. We work with the Hispanic community down in Murcia. And so many of them are immigrants. And you know what? And they'll tell me, I wasn't interested in God when I left. My country, I wasn't interested in God when I got here. But they fall on hard times, difficult times, and then they are open because they realize they're in need. You know, that's not too far from what happened to us. Remember the day I sat with my mom at a table in a restaurant after we'd been Christians for a few years, I'd been away at Bible school, and my mom and I hadn't really had a lot of time to just talk. And I wanted to know about our life. My mom and I, we, we didn't do a lot of talking. I remember we sat down in that restaurant and my mother, who had not gone to Bible school, <laughs> didn't study theology. She was just, you know, she was just new in the faith. She sat at that table and she looked at me and she says, Ralphie, okay, do not call me that. <laughs> she says, Raphael, she says, maybe God brought us to this country just so that we would hear the gospel. When she said that, I said, Mom, I'm so glad you figured it out. Because I had no idea why we were here in the first place. But, we, but yes, that was it. it. You know, 
That was why God had transferred us all those thousands of miles. Because that's where He wanted us to hear the gospel. It was the plan of God. And so it was for Onesimus. There's no difference in class, no difference in pedigree. Four times in the New Testament, Paul says, there is no distinction between bond or free. In a culture where being a slave was no fun, and there were plenty of them, we said, he says there is no difference between bond or free. But there is a difference between classes Language? Um, what's the difference? If it isn't bond or free, then where is the difference? Point is, there isn't any. Folks, I, I don't mean to, I hope I'm not ripping your pedigree tag off. But if I am, I'm not sorry. Because you need to understand you were bankrupt. Till the day Jesus came into your life. Whether you were five years old or fifty. And God didn't choose you because you were wise or awesome. Or because you were powerful or rich. He chose you because He loved you. That's it. And He wanted to. As one of my professors used to say. God is in the business of going to the rubbish bin. And from there, acquiring rubbish. And from the rubbish, He makes, He sculptures trophies of grace. If you don't understand that, you haven't figured out where you were headed. You haven't figured out where you would end up without Christ. You haven't figured out what it's meant for Jesus to have died on that cross for you. Paul asked Philemon to value Onesimus in a new kind of position. Verse 17 and 18, Paul appeals for forgiveness. Accept him as you would me. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean... This is the Apostle Paul, folks. And he's saying, we're the same. Accept him as you would me. We're the same. I, Paul, will pay his debt. You know, he stole. You know that's why that is there. When he says... If he's stolen anything, I'll pay it. Well, it's because he stole. How else do you think you can get from Colossae all the way to Rome? Hitchhiking? I mean, you've got to have some financial thing. And it's not like he just saved up all his salary. He's a slave. Remember that? He must have stolen from Philemon. Got it? Now he's coming back empty-handed. Doesn't have anything. Sort of like the prodigal. He's got nothing to bring back. And Paul says, Hey, put it on my account. He says at the end of the letter, I'm coming. Pray that I come. Get, get the room ready for me. He's in prison. He says, But I, I just know I'm coming. And when I come, I'll, I'll settle matters. 
He offers him in substitute. He offers himself in substitution. I'll pay his debt. Sound familiar? He learned that from his Lord, didn't he? He learned that from Jesus. Going about putting himself in a position where others couldn't. When we came to God, we had a debt which we could not pay. And Christ paid my debt which he did not owe. You had a debt with God. I had a debt with God. We couldn't pay it off. Jesus, who didn't have a debt, paid mine. That's what Paul is doing in this letter to Onesimus, to Philemon. Well, let's close verse 19 through 21. What are the reasons for forgiving? You've heard them all. You need to release people from your hook. Put them on God's hook. You need to forgive because if not, you're going to be a slave to them. You need to forgive because if you don't, you're going to see them in your soup. You're going to see them in your movies. You're going to see them in your dreams. You're going to... There's a reason to forgive and the reason is because you need to free yourself. Folks, we all have people we have to forgive. My wife and I go through this program with people. It's called um, uh, Seven Steps of Freedom. It's by Neil Anderson. It's part of a book that he wrote called The Bondage Breaker. We've used that dozens and dozens of times. We have watched people who for years just were crabs. Sorrow pusses. You know, the kind of Christian you thought was baptized in vinegar. And you think, what's the... And then when they go through these steps and they begin to clean themselves from the people they haven't forgiven. And they begin to just forgive people who have wronged them. Yeah, of course wronged them. And they get it off. They talk to God. And they leave it at the altar. How their lives just are freed up to receive the grace that God wants to give them. So what are some of the reasons then that he gives here? Well, he really just gives one. Not too many of them, just basically one. Verse 19. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Saying, I'm not using the scribe. This is me. I'm, I am making a commitment. I'm putting ink to paper. I will repay it. That should give Philemon a rest, right? Okay, well, at least somebody's going to pay me back for what Onesimus stole. But Paul, who knows that all things belong to God, says, uh, <clears throat> Philemon, uh, by the way, while we're at the subject here, uh, lest I should mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Do you know what he's saying to him? He's saying, yeah, I know he stole from you. And I'll pay. If I, if I must, I will. And I'm prepared to. I'm putting it down with my own hand. But uh, Philemon, when will you pay me? Who are you a debtor to? 
You know, we are not to owe to any man anything except to love one another. But you owe to someone. The someone who brought Christ into your life. Because were they not be used by God, where would you be today? All that Paul is saying to Philemon is, Paul, Philemon, I was used of God to give you life. I've never asked anything in return. I feel a debtor to a man named Wayne Taylor. He is now probably in his 70s, early 70s. I think he's retired, he was a minister. I, every time I'm able to, and I'm in the U.S., and I'm anywhere near within hour, a few hours of driving, I go out of my way, and I go look for Pastor Taylor. And we usually sit down, we have a cup of coffee. We are opposites. He is very traditional. He is very Baptistic. He is, if you know of uh, schools of thought... He is Bob Jones University, you know what I mean? This is right wing, as right wing can get. And then there's me. And we sit down and we put our differences aside and I always say to him, Thank you, Pastor Taylor, for the day you came to Long Island and you came to that factory and you chose to preach the gospel to all these factory workers. And thank you that you took the time for a few months to disciple me. I am a debtor to him. And I know that. Because I didn't come into this on my own. I didn't wake up one day and beep, the light came on. Someone has shared with us. Maybe his mom. Maybe his grandpa. Maybe a Sunday school teacher. Maybe a stranger. Maybe just a friend. But we are debtors, folks. And if you can in your mind, you cannot find that person in your thought pattern, then I got to ask you, how did you end up in this thing called church? Because we don't just walk in out of nowhere. Because in and of our own nature, we are bankrupt. There is no one who seeks after God. No, not one. I heard a lady one day said that she was full of the Holy Spirit when she was in the womb of her mother. And I thought, oh, you've been reading the New Testament. You got that from, 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 from John the Baptist. No, you weren't. We're born in sin. It was her way of trying to show her, her, her pedigree. Had she been in a Christian you know, realm all her life and grew up in a good Christian home, she was showing everybody her pedigree, you know, uh, ticket thingy. I thought, oh man, you, you, you're not getting it. Maybe you should go home tonight. Or you have his email. Maybe you have her address. And go home tonight and just pull out a card and send it to Mrs. or Mr. and say uh, just want to one more time one more time I just want to say thank you for having talked to me about the Lord Jesus Christ 
Because I will never get tired of saying that. Well, so there is a reason why we should forgive. Because we all. Let us do what is right. Just do what is right. Who is it that we need to forgive? Well, forgiveness is reserved for those who have offended us. You don't forgive people who are nice. People who are nice don't do things to us. Don't offend us. Don't wrong us. It's people who are not nice that wrong us. Or just someone very close to you who sometimes, you know, rub too much and sparks fly. Who is it we are to forgive? People who have wronged us. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it, folks? I've been teaching through the Gospel of John. And of course, remember John, when he sees Jesus in 129, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, follow me here. I know you guys are very biblistic. Remember what John said? Behold the Lamb of God, it takes away the sins of the world. Right? That's a test, guys. How many say yes? Because if you just said yes, you failed the test. He didn't say the sins of the world. The sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What's the sin of the world? You know what the sin is? Pride. Pride keeps us from God. Pride keeps us from doing the will of God. Pride keeps us from doing what's right. We defend our rights. We fight for what's just. And God's saying, No, I'm asking you to give out grace. Would you want, and I am going to ask this seriously, would you want God to be just with you? Would you ask God, God, execute justice with me? Would you do that? Because if you do, if you would ask God to execute justice upon your life, may I remind you that sin has separated you from God. Had He executed justice, you never would have come to Him. And would He executed now, you'd be in trouble. Because 1 John 1, nine then would be of no use. You know, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Imagine if He didn't. Imagine if He just said, No, nope, you know what? You crossed the line. You broke the rule. You did what's wrong. Bam! Now, what is it we do? Oh God, please. Forgive me, please. Have grace on me. And that's what He means. That's, that's what it's there for. That's what the cross is there for. And then when someone whom you consider a friend, maybe someone you love, maybe just somebody that you know, wrongs you. You grasp, you gasp, you're ready to, you know, hand out justice. Paul says to Philemon, forgive him. Do you know what he dares to do at the end? 
He doesn't just say to him, forgive him. I wasn't even going to get into this, but look at verse 21. I mean, Paul, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know, listen to me, that you will do even more than what I say. What is he asking him to do? He says, to forgive him, right? More than what I say. What do you think he's asking him to do? He kind of throws that out there. I know that you will do what I'm asking you. But I'm even asking you to do more than what I say. He's asking him to let him go. Give him his freedom. Oh my word. That is beyond. I mean, you know, that's like not just forgiving the person, but then baking a cake for them. You know? And no, you can't put razors in it. Or laxative or something, you know? Why are you guys laughing? You've done that? <laughs> Folks, dispense grace and you will maintain your inner peace. Have you found forgiveness from God? Have you? Yet it's so hard to hand out forgiveness to others. Man. It's hard for me. I confess. Yet I have the nerve to ask God to have grace on me. It's the grace of God which grants you peace. It's interesting how he finishes the chapter. Last verse, verse 25. I'm just going to read it and we'll pray. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Fitting, don't you think? That's how he says goodbye to Philemon. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Dispense grace, my dear brethren. You will do no wrong if you dispense grace. Let us stand as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this evening. I thank you more for your word. I thank you that your word doesn't hold back. It hits us right between the eyes. Man, it rubs us wrong. But yet we know it's true. It's your word. And so I ask that you would give me the power to do what is right. Because it will grant me peace. And it pleases you. And I love you, Lord. And I want to please you. Thank you for this evening and for your word. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.